Hey everybody, welcome to the Life, Love, and Existential Dread podcast. Love that title. It's got all these, oh man, just love every single word in that title. My name is Brian Arata. I'm broadcasting from sunny Los Angeles, California. My co-host, let him introduce himself. Go ahead. I'm Nathan Shelton, and I am broadcasting from uh, disturbingly cold Chicago, and it's <laughs> Dist- dark as hell here right now. It's just the, oh, the pit of despair. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love it. <laughs> love living there. Love taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leaving them. Yeah, you know, that's the Midwest for you, man. You never know what's going to come. Even in December, it could be. It could be hot. It could be cold. You don't know. In California, Brian, same thing. You don't know. Two no days ago. Two days ago, it was in the sixties, and I was out in just this hoodie and a t-shirt, walking the dog. I went for a long walk around the neighborhood. Stopped off. I walked like fifteen minutes away, and picked up a Starbucks, and then came back, and it was just oh, it was glorious. And then overnight, we had this crazy wind, right? When, you know, the wind storms hit for two nights here in the Midwest, we had all the tornadoes and stuff hit here. I, and I'm in an old house. My, you can maybe see behind me, but I'm in an old, old house um, that has four apartments in it. And um, the winds were blowing so hard that I, while I was up here working in the studio, I could feel the house swaying. Whoa. Like it was hitting and we it felt like what I imagine it feels like for you guys having earthquakes. That's what it felt oh, like. Yeah. And I was like, This is crazy. So I took a melatonin when I had to go to sleep that night and just <laughs> you know popped popped the fan on so I couldn't hear because the wind was creaking the house. It was so yeah. but anyway, that wind brought with it icy chill weather. I mean it it hasn't we haven't had any precipitation really, but it's freezing outside for the last two days. And I'm all gunked up now because whenever the weather changes like that, it's like growing up in Missouri is the same way. You know, it's like the weather changes on a dime. You, you, you're in shorts and a t-shirt in the morning. And by the evening, it's like snow boots and it's so ridiculous. I'm done with it. I'm so (laughs) done with it. What's that (sighs) phrase is Missouri and Midwest, Illinois, of course, too. It's the only place in the United States where you can use your heater and your air conditioner in the same day, you can. Yeah, that's the way. It, that's yeah. the way it is. You know. Yeah, they they do. Uh, I think it's done on purpose by the by the government to make us uh, have uh, higher utility bills. That's what I think. <laughs> Never in the middle. It's always one extreme or the other. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Of course. Well, there were some high winds out. We get these really strong winds called the Santa Ana winds out here. And they were, it was a few days ago. And of course, there's palm trees all over the place. And there were palm trees you could see visibly swaying in the wind. I couldn't believe how much they were moving. It was like, it was like an upside down pendulum of Big Bend or something like that. It was so, I couldn't believe how much they were moving, you know? Do coconuts Uh, fall off of those things? Coconuts are in those trees, right? Are palm trees coconut trees or is that a different thing? I think that's a different thing because there's a palm tree in the center of my apartment complex, and the only thing that falls off it are dead palms. Palm fronds. And then some, yeah, and then some guy like shimmies up the trunk of it and like cleans them off and everything to make it look like a normal palm tree. But they, you know, just like regular mm-hmm. leaves, they just kind of die and turn brown over the course of a few months. Okay. And every so often, this guy comes and trims them. But so I've never seen wonder- a coconut. So. Yeah, but so are there different kinds of palm trees? Because don't coconut trees look a lot like palm trees? I mean, they're similar, right? Being Man, from the Midwest, I I, these are things I don't know. These are things I just don't. I mean, and I know that palm trees aren't native to to L.A. or, or California. It, to the to the U.S., they were brought here. But um, right. I've I've read that before. But 
I have no idea either, and I've lived in both places, Missouri for many years, California for many years. I have no idea either, but I've never seen a coconut fall off this palm tree that's in my apartment mm. complex. Uh, but it mm. will let me know whenever there are high winds. Night. He is. Yeah, he comes in. He's he, shimmying he, up the he, tree and stealing coconuts. He, cut, he cuts off the dead leaves and takes the coconuts, and then you know he's gone. You know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> bastard oh man well that's that's the way it is you know california you know you you do do what you can to do you know people do their jobs and that's the way it is he may be stealing coconuts i have no idea all i know is it looks really good when he's done with it it looks great you know like a normal i'm sure they pay him a lot of money to do it hopefully yeah what you would think a, a palm tree would look like so Right. I mean, they're really tall, too. They grow super, super tall. Yeah, some of them are unbelievably tall. I mean, I want to estimate maybe some of the taller ones I've seen as tall as three or four stories of oh, a building. Wow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Some of these high winds really make a move. And I couldn't believe how strong some of these. I've never seen that before uh, mm-hmm. after 16 years of living here. Those Santa, but the Santa Ana winds are very strong and just, just rustle up everything and just a really strong winds and this time of year. Do they come from Santa Ana, like from that area? Or like, I, I'm not sure it's, where Santa Ana is from. LA. It's, it's, uh, it's south of LA. I'm not exactly sure where. North of Orange County, I believe. I'm not sure. All you ge- geography buffs will correct me on that, whoever listening. Um, but it's named for Santa Ana, the Mexican... Uh, conquistador, something like mm. that. And there's these winds that come off the mountains that are warm air and they blow all over the place around this time of year, October, November, into December. So that's just, hmm. just, just something you got to deal with. That's about and as much really Christmas, strong. Christmas weather that you get there. Exactly. Exactly. Although it's been getting down to 38, 37 degrees at night, which is really highly. Highly unusual. Yeah, that that's very wow. that's a that's has that a new happened thing. since I've, you've been out there? A couple of times, but this year it's quite a bit colder at night. You know, these last that's few days. So weird because so here in Chicago, it's actually been a lot warmer this time of year than it normally is. I mean, we yeah. to have a sixty degree day. Uh, I think it even got up to like sixty three or sixty four. This time of year in December, that's that's unheard of here. I mean, that rarely happens. So we're having kind of a warm winter. But I mean, like I said, it just snaps right back. So we're going to, I'm guessing winter's going to hit late again. And, you know, come February, we're going to be in snow, you know. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, just just switches every every other day, something like that. But I remember last previous years, I ride my bike for exercise and I got this bike trail real close by. And I'm out in shorts and a t-shirt riding my bike. You know, middle of December, middle of January, no problem. This year, not so much. <laughs> it's, it's too cold. It's too cold to do that. So Yeah, I don't even like going out to walk the dog. It's so cold. I used to not mind the cold when I was a younger man. But now that I'm Me getting too. older, I'm like, I don't like it anymore. It's weird. I used to be so hot-blooded that I would have to wear a T-shirt even in the yeah. you know the wintertime because I was so hot-blooded, you know? I, I right. just couldn't. And now, you know, I... I I, I'm done with it. I don't want to do it. it do it. Do cold. I mean, is, is that what old age is? Is just j- your body completely just saying no to the things that you said yes to when you were younger? <laughs> it just keeps happening like that. Like everything. I guess so. Have fun. I, I no. know. No, Drink you can't have this. fun. You're no. Too, do these drugs. No. <laughs> have you're too old to have. No, I can't. <laughs> Just every step, every year of life is a new, just, a new saying of no. Just 
complete rejection on every aspect of life that's anything worth doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. No. Until it's finally live more. No. No. Oh, <laughs> we're done. But I do know older people get colder easier. I do know that. Is it a circulation like, thing? Circul- I, I believe it's a circulation issue. You know, they just what about heavy older? Because like, I'm a husky guy. You know, I used Me to too. shop in the husky section, which they don't have anymore, uh, probably for oh. a good thing. I, I don't see, well, you know, but I remember going to the store, <laughs> we were shopping for me as a child and it, husky, you know, like boys, husky. And yep. I, you know, I would feel embarrassed doing it, but, you know, I'd shop there and be like, husky, you know, but <laughs> now I think everybody's so concerned with mental health and rightfully so. I mean, we didn't care. It was the eighties. We didn't give a shit about mental health. Back then. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody you know? cared. Nobody yeah. cared about anything. Political correctness, nothing. No, you know, it's like, no. But yeah, that that's kind of weird that they don't have that anymore. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. What about us? What about us husky guys? I, sh- I feel like I'm, I've am i got blubber that's supposed to help you stay yeah. warm. I'm covered yeah. in a thick layer of fur. You know, why? You know, it's like my, ha- you know, I'm half Sasquatch on my mother's side or something like that. You know, it's like, why would I, why would yeah. I not, why would I get cold? You you would look at me and be like, oh, that guy's warm all year round. But no, yeah. I'm not. I'm freezing. It Does, doesn't cold. work that way. Yeah. I, I, and, and I wish they had a Sasquatch section in the store because then you know exactly where to go. It's like, Hell look, yeah. at, these are I all mean, the clothes for Sasquatch, Sasquatch over people. Husky. Yeah, I take Sasquatch <laughs> over Husky any day. It's like, at least it's almost a, like a badge cut of honor. above. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's a, oh, that's this, you know, the little Sasquatch kid. You know, I'd take yeah, it. Yeah. I'd love that. <laughs> you know? Where'd you get your clothes? I went to the Sasquatch section, not the Husky yeah. section. I've upgraded. Okay, that's just the way it is now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No more big and tall. You just have like yeah, yeah. giant and Sasquatch. No, I did. I did the same thing too. My mom bought me Husky jeans, you know, and things like that. It's the same thing. But you just, yeah, it's, you don't see those things anymore. Fit. Flex fit, flex jeans. fix, right? Yeah, yeah. Flex got some kind of elastic band. band, elastic band on jeans. What the hell is that For about? Pregnant I don't understand. Males. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 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 to fit your changing body, <laughs> stop my body from changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I, no. I like to put on those tighter jeans, or say, hey, you were once this thin. You know, you moron. Stop, you know, stop eating pizza, stop drinking beer and, and get back into the shape and fit in these jeans. So it's a little bit of a reminder for me to try and try and do that every once in a while. Hey, I have a whole closet full of those reminders, my friend. I have like <laughs> two pairs of pants. I can fit in one short, one pair of shorts and uh, just, you know, a plethora of T-shirts that I can fit in. And that's it. I There's so many things in my like nice button up shirts and suits and stuff like that that i can't yeah. i can't even i can't even look at them anymore i go in my closet and it's just so depressing like, yeah oh uh, no God. same thing yeah i only got one suit and i'm sure i haven't tried it on in years actually so i i'm, I'm sure i don't fit in it fit in that either well covid um, did it covid i i blame COVID. Ah! It's my, I, I mean it's myself and i know that i i know that but it, covid i mean i sat on my ass <laughs> for two years doing nothing but hunching over a computer so I've gotten fatter, hairier, my eyesight's going from looking at screens all day and all night long. <laughs> and I'm just lethargic in general. So it's like I feel like I've I've been getting more exercise lately, but there for a while I was feeling like, man, I'm, I've aged 10 years prematurely, you know? Within two years, yeah, yeah. 
Within two years, yeah. It's like a rapid forward jump in time. And now I'm like, God, when the weather gets nice again, I'm going to get out of the house. I'm going to do, you know, every time I go to visit my wife in Mexico, um, because my, you know, my wife, she's Mexican and we're working with uh, immigration to get her here. I don't know if we mentioned that on the front call, but um, so I go to Mexico a lot because she can't get into the country yet. And it's a long and expensive process. So I go to Mexico every, every few months and spend as much time as I possibly can there. And when I go, we walk everywhere, you know, we walk all over the place, all over the neighborhoods. We love to stay in uh, an area called Roma Norte. Um, and uh, she lives in an, we have a little apartment in an area um, that I can't pronounce. It's pre-Hispanic. It's not, it's not Spanish, which I, I suck at Spanish too. She's teaching me. <laughs> she speaks very amazing English, but, um, but also, you know, is irritated that I'm not picking up Spanish as fast, but she's been studying English for years, by Come the on, way. Yeah. Yeah, a little right. Slack. So it's cut, like cut, cut yeah, you a little I, slack there. Right. I mean, we've been together for a couple of years. It's not like <laughs> I'm not and I don't work on it near as much as I should. But the pre-Hispanic names there are really difficult to say. It's like Tlenaltlan or something like that. I can't. You know, like Tatiawakan, uh the 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 ruins that are um uh, usually ascribed to being Aztec, the Temple of the Sun, the Temple of the Moon, the, there in, oh. right outside of Mexico City. Yeah, they're okay. not actually Aztec. They're way older than Aztec. The Aztecs found the ruins and built upon them, but they were from the uh, Tatiawakans, which are like pre pre-Hispanic Aztec. Uh, the Azteca people they're they're also pre-Hispanic, or okay. you know Spanish rule, Spanish coming in, conquistadors coming into Mexico and taking over and killing everyone and raping everyone, and you know, but um. <laughs> All those pre-Hispanic names, they still exist there, and they have a lot of native people there that that speak, you know, and do. And that it's just, it's a weird, beautiful language, and I cannot get my tongue around it. It's all consonants and very little, very little vowels. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> I don't know how we get on the subject, but oh, walking in Mexico, walking everywhere in Mexico, in Mexico City. Yeah. I walk everywhere in Mexico City, and the weather there is always nice. If it's raining, it's beautiful. If it's sunny, it's beautiful. And uh, I I love visiting there, and the people are so warm and amazing, and I love the open-air markets and little cafes, and yeah. So I get my exercise when I go there, but unfortunately, I only go every few months, and I only go for like two and a half weeks at a time, <laughs> you know? So it's not <laughs> enough it to sustain, yeah. to make this into the Greek Adonis that it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> that we all want to be, yes. We yeah, all see we all ourselves as, but never will happen. I remember this... Yeah, I, uh, uh, it, I forget it was Walter Payton. I, I forget which one it was. It was one of the Payton brothers. And they're saying like, and people are asking them, it's like, well, how do you say in such good shape, be, you know, being a football player, you know, getting a little older. And he says, well, you know, or like, uh, I want to, I'm a 40 year old man and I want to get a six pack. And he says, yeah, it's, it's probably not going to happen. So you should just start buying bigger shirts, you know? So <laughs> I think about that all the time. It's like, oh yeah, I want to be in, be in good shape and, you know, have a six pack, whatever, but it's, it's not going to happen at this time. I mean, you know, it can maybe 20 can. years ago, but not now. It is, it is possible that it could happen. You could do it, but it takes a dramatic life change. It, yeah. It's not like a small increment. I mean, you could lose a lot of weight. You could get more in shape, but to be like, cut you know without marvel money pouring into your pocket for you know from somebody trying to push you to get into shape to be in a movie or something you're not right. gonna because it's i mean you're talking daily hourly devotion to your to your body and right uh it takes a whole True. mind reset body reset spirit reset everything 
yeah, tremendous amount of self-discipline with I don't think many 40-year-old men, American men anyway, don't have. You just kind of mm-hmm. accept it and just just let it go, you know. Yeah, you could have done you could have you could have done it when you were 20, but you didn't and now you're no. 40 and it's not going to yeah, happen. This is the way it yeah. is. Yeah. That so, bill comes due. Deal. That bill comes due, man. <laughs> it's like <laughs> learn, you know, and then young people don't want to listen to old people, uh, older people. I suppose we're not old, but, <clears throat> but you know, young people don't want to listen. But it's like, I wish that I would have listened to more older people back then when I was younger and didn't just be yeah. like, okay. I mean, I hate the whole okay boomer thing. I'm not a boomer, right? None of us are. But my kids joke and say that, and I get so irritated with them because, first of all, I think it's very disrespectful to old people. But also, it's just right. like... You know, old people tell you things because they've lived it and they know it and they're trying to help you, usually. Right. Some people are are just dicks. But, you know, for the most part, people are just trying to help you. (laughs) When I say things to my kids, like, listen, if you don't get in the habit now, it's not going to happen. And there's a reason I'm telling you this. There's a, you know, I'm trying to help you. Stop getting in your own way. Stop arguing with me and just understand that I've lived life more than twice longer than you. And yeah. have gone through stuff that you hopefully will never have to go through and many things that I hope you do go through. But like, come on, you're not going to live forever and you're not gonna, yeah. you're not going to, you know, you, we all we you know, they say that the young people think that they're going to live forever. I used to be like, I don't think I'm going to live forever. But in a way we do. I think we don't care about getting older or mortality. We don't start to think about how things affect you physically, because if you hurt yourself, you heal so quickly. You know, like, you know, you yeah. you mess up your knee and your knee, you know, is fine in two days or whatever. And, yeah. you know, now it's like I sleep wrong on my f- back and I fucking I can't, you know, for th- it lays me out for three days. I'm like, oh, my God, every time I stand up or sit down and I'm like, I'm not even 40 yet. I'm 39. And, you know, it's like it, you have that milestone of 40 and it's like as soon as that goes over, it's like, well, parts of me are going to start falling off. That's what I think. Right. That's what I feel like yeah. is going to happen. But not the yeah. weight, just like chunks of, right. you know, yeah, just, I don't know. Like yeah, my you, left you, nipple will be on the floor or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. That'd be weird. <laughs> no, I remember being 25, 26, and I was like, man, I'm I'm going to be freaking immortal my whole life. I was you know, indestructible, you know, never broken a bone in my life, never really got hurt that much. I can do anything I want. But then you get to be older and you're like, oh, boy. I'm having trouble, you know, like uh, walking down a flight of stairs, like losing my balance or something. If I don't right. hold on to the freaking railing, you know. Oh, my God. Every morning, um, Brian, I, I have a two-story apartment. Every morning I go downstairs and I go yeah. one step, one step, one step. Like, yeah. I can't, and, I can't do and, it otherwise because I'm so stiff yeah. every morning. And, and like not in the way that kid. I used to be stiff when I was younger in the morning. But up, um <laughs> 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 or like a little kid, you, you take one step and your other foot comes on. You take another step, your other foot goes up. You, you know, you just go that slowly because you need to. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It's a it's well, the and creep. then I'm, and then I'm <laughs> I'm on the second floor as well. So I got to take my I got my bike on my shoulder and I'm walking down the stairs. I'm like slow down, slow down. Like one of these days, I'm gonna miss a step and just go end over end. It's like an Ironman race for you, right? Yeah, and, and I was like, I'm, I, I, I know it. And the really hard stone, you know, there's no carpet on it. There's really hard stone stairs that I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die one of these times carrying my bike up and down these stairs. I just know well, it. If you but, miss one of our calls, I'm gonna know what happened. You're gonna know immediately. Yeah, it's like, well, 
I just lost my luck. It just happened one time. I knew it was going to happen, therefore it did. So, I don't know. You know, that's what happened. I just It's weird that you mentioned that because I was just watching this very great documentary on Kurt Vonnegut last night that's on oh. Amazon. Yeah. I don't know if you're a Kurt Vonnegut fan. I am not a Kurt Vonnegut fan. I've never read anything by Kurt Vonnegut. But my brother is a huge Kurt Vonnegut fan, and I know a lot of other people that are. And I, I love hearing him talk. You know, I've listened to, to interviews and things over the years. Well, there's this documentary, and I watched a trailer, and I'm like, well, I have to watch this. And I love learning new things about people and things. So I watched this documentary last night. And did you know that's how he actually died is he got a head injury from falling down his front steps in New York – and um, and he yeah he hit his head and and he died pretty quickly. Um, he wow. was like eighty. He was eighty four, I think, eighty three or eighty four when he died. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, yeah. I again, same thing. I, I know I know of him. I never read a book of his, but man, that's that's yeah. Man, that's it's a tragic. really beautiful Jeez. documentary. It was really really an interesting documentary. If if you have any interest, uh, I do recommend it. It's uh, I can't remember the man's name who who directed it, but he's the uh creator and director primary director of um of the Larry David show Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's good okay. friends with Larry yeah, David. Yeah. Anyway, he's he had been working on this documentary since the 80s. He's been friends with Kurt Vonnegut since then and he wanted to do it, but he kept putting it off. He didn't know how, quite how to unlock it. And so part of the documentary is him over this 30 year span trying to figure out how to make the documentary and then putting it all together and talking about Vonnegut's life while also their friendship that they've made over the years and their intertwined lives. And it's really, really a fascinating documentary. If you're into documentaries, right. if you're not, then don't watch that. I like, well, <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather watch something like that, a real thing, a real story rather than some kind of thing that's, you know, maybe not that entertaining or not that well made. You know, I'd much rather read something about a, like a true story than anything else. So yeah, I don't know why. And, and old, as the older you know, the older I get, the older we get, I, it's it's like that. I'd much rather watch something like a documentary or a true story or you know something like that. It's just right. it's like okay, this is really happening. This person really lived. This thing really happened to this person. What have you? It's just more interesting because it's yeah, real. I, exactly. You know, my my parents and and my grandmother and stuff. When I was growing up, they always watched the news and. I always got so bored by the news. You know, I was like, oh, come on. I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to know what's going on. I don't care about this. I don't, definitely didn't care about politics. I didn't even get to caring about politics until, you know, the until I started back in Bernie Sanders, really. <laughs> you know, and so he, he, like, made me care yeah. about politics again. Because um, yeah. I'm like, here's a guy. Here's a guy who gets it. Um, but anyway, I, um, yeah, I didn't, uh, I... So I never wanted to watch anything like that. And if my my dad watched, unless it had something to do with monsters and like true monsters or something like that, you know, like cryptids or paranormal stuff or aliens or some shit like that, I never wanted to watch it. But now, now that I'm older, um, not only do I want to learn more and, and I love, I do love learning and I love, you know, figuring stuff out, but I also just enjoy how those movies are made. I enjoy the artistry of of the documentary and how, you know, cause as a, as a director producer myself, what I, I, I enjoy watching how we're being manipulated by whatever content we're consuming. So like, how are they manipulating my emotions right now? How are they, you know, right. you know what I mean? And yeah. so oh, totally. I really enjoy watching documentaries to see, okay, well what, what, you know, the music that they use, how they're cutting the interviews, things like that. It's like, well, okay, how are they, how is this thing put together? How are how much of it is, um, 
recreation, how much of it is um, interview, how much of it is, you know, musicality and sound effects or sound design. I mean, what's the end game of this? Is it to to stir some sort of, you know, like especially like those shows like Ancient Aliens and stuff like that. It's so gimmicky and so commercial and so goofy, you know, but sometimes fun to watch, like a popcorn thing. Like you just want to watch it and watch that guy with the crazy hair be a nut job. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. Because I actually do believe in uh, ancient alien theory. I actually do believe in in extraterrestrial life, um, interdimensional life and stuff like that. But those shows, it's almost like they're just designed to... Uh, I don't know. I entertainment value. There's nothing. It's like they're not even trying anymore to do anything. Uh, like to to actually give evidence. I mean, that show's been on for how how long now? That one that just been, I mean, just talking about that. It's been. I mean, yeah. how can you? You're they're saying the same thing over and over again. I mean, how many episodes have they had about the the pyramids in Egypt? How many episodes have they had about you know? Enough <laughs> enough to make me not want to watch it anymore. Because it's not, it's not very well. It's not very well made. It's not well made at all. It's always like, and it's. I could it be ancient aliens? I think yes. Like why? (laughs) Why Anything could be. Yes, you've made a very good statement there. Anything could be. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of that. But let's let's try proving it and stop making all these grandiose hypotheses that 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 yeah. I I think there's hard. It's hard to believe what they're saying on those things. Right. I agree. I agree. I think there's much better documentaries out there on that subject, you know, but, Oh yeah. But, but there's still great TV documentary shows out there. I love stuff about how movies, you know, the, I, you know, speaking of like popcorn documentaries, like the kind that are like, you know, just entertainment value, but still give you good content. Those how, uh, movies that made us or, um, or toys that made us those documentaries, I think are actually really great documentaries and they are very entertaining, but they also do have a lot of great information, especially, because it's tied into nostalgia, right? And it's really, I mean, we're the, you and I, we're in that target demographic for that show. I mean, it's all about toys from our youth yeah. and shows from when we were growing up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, um, so yeah, but I really, I really like those, uh, those shows and they're, oh. and they are very, very cheesy and popcorny and funny and goofy, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And, um, and you still learn a lot. I mean, there's a lot of great information in that. It's not a, a lot of great interviews. And people, they interview people that you don't always hear talking from the production right. side of things. It's always, you know, for the alien one, it's not just Sigourney Weaver or Ridley Scott talking, you know, or these actors. It's it's a few of the actors, but it's mainly the the effects people and the the producers and even the the marketing and money people and stuff like that and how it got made. It's pretty cool. Well, and there's there's like a recent thing about that and how the poster for Aliens. I mean, this is a you know James Cameron's sequel to Alien, and he was going in to talk to the studio executive, and they wanted to do this other poster thing, and he's talking to him. He says, "No, all I want is a black background with aliens on it. That's what I want." And the the studio executive trying to talk to him, it, and it was the studio executive's last day on the job. He got fired or something like that, and so he's just trying to get this guy James Cameron, James freaking Cameron, out of his office. This guy, and he, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he got this great movie, you know. And they're trying to figure out how to market it. And he said, "No, I want a poster." Just or or he James Cameron said something to the effect of, "I just want a poster with a black background. That's all I want." And that's what ended up being the poster and made it just so much more mysterious. Like, what is this movie sequel about? All it is is the title, Aliens with a Black Background. And it just, 
you know, amped up the anticipation for that movie to come out, but it was a total accident. It was a total joke with between hmm. James Cameron and this executive who no longer works there. Uh, wow. But, uh, as, as, you know, I remember but, watching that episode. Man, I love, yeah. I love stuff like that, man. That's <laughs> I great. I do too. You know? <laughs> and that's why I love watching documentary shows or documentary yeah. movies. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, have you watched the one on the Ghostbusters? It's great. I, I've seen... I've seen one where – and a lot of what they do is they follow the fan base of Ghostbusters. And the one aspect that, that, I, mm-hmm. that I really recognized was that they are not trying to imitate you know, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, you know, Harold Ramis, whatever. They're not trying to imitate those guys. The fans of Ghostbusters are Ghostbusters themselves. So when they wear the costume, it's their name on the right. uh, yep. on the jumpsuit rather than like Vinkman or whatever, and I was right. like, "Oh man, that's that's another level of fandom." Yeah, they have like it's they... kind of like yeah. stormtroopers with Star Wars. It's the same kind of thing, right? Like they have yeah. the the five hundred first or whatever they are, the Star Stormtrooper, you know, divisions, and people make their own armor. You know, it's kind of yeah. like a badge of honor to make your own armor or to have it made by somebody who's a master armorer and not just buy it online. So they have yeah. these kits to do it and to buy, you know, out of uh, PVC and all that stuff. And um, it's really cool. They do that with Ghostbusters. There's actually some friends of mine back in Springfield who have a whole chapter of that and do that. Right. And yeah. And they go to conventions and stuff. Yeah. Big. Yeah. And I, that's one aspect of Ghostbusters that I didn't realize, but that's totally true. They're not trying to be, you know Peter Venkman, Bill Murray, whatever they're they're they are themselves, and I was like, man, that's a, that's another level that that doesn't exist on in any other kind of franchise. You know, Star Trek, everybody tries to be Kirk or Picard or whatever it is, a Klingon, you know, but they don't try to be themselves as a character in the movie, which is which is what Ghostbusters does, and that makes it distinct yeah. uh, distinguishes above the other ones. Yeah, I think that's really cool. The the um, I haven't seen that documentary. I know the documentary you're talking about, um, but I haven't seen that documentary. The that's a movie. Um, the the episode specifically of um, uh, how movies that made us that I I actually watched it last night, and uh, they were they were talking about Ghostbusters. I watched the Ghostbusters episode, and um, the, uh, the I you know I knew growing up that there was the the Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters. Do you remember that whole thing, right? That almost caused the movie to not have the title because Columbia Pictures um, Columbia Pictures had all these issues. They started making the movie, and they had the title Ghostbusters. But they were talking about, and I don't know if you remember this from when we were kids, but the the Ghostbusters, and then there was a cartoon called The Real Ghostbusters, which had some yes. characters, and they had a big like ape in a flight cap or something. Yes, I, right? I watched I watched that religiously because I love Ghostbusters. Right. Well, and they had that opening credit sequence where they like went into the void and like in their car thing, and it and then there was like a a monster zombie uh, mummy guy playing an organ or something that was the main bad guy. Well, apparently, that cartoon started out as a live action TV show called Ghostbusters and it was owned by Fun Funimation the company that put out He-Man and oh, okay right and so they owned the name and Columbia had already put up a lot of money to get some of the people in Ghostbusters you know and so and <laughs> the budget was getting bigger and bigger they're shooting in New York and all this stuff and it's got 
tons of VFX, right? And, you know, like it, it, like an unheard of amount, especially for a comedy. Nobody had done a comedy with that much special effects in it, you know? And it just kept... Ivan Reitman was just throwing new effects into the script with the guys and stuff, and it was crazy. And they pulled half of the people from e, um, ILM... Um, away because you know Ben Ed, uh, Edland Ben Edland I can't remember Edland hey, you know didn't like his job there and so he took out this whole crew and they created their own company for Ghostbusters to figure out how to do this stuff and they didn't have very long to do it so they're pouring money into all this all this stuff to to get it to work and um they so Columbia didn't want to pay for the name Ghostbusters and, and so there was this whole fight over it. They didn't want to pay for it. So they started shooting Ghostbusters with Ghostbusters. And then right after they would get a shot, they'd change it to Ghost Breakers. Are you kidding me? And they did it I double had... for a lot of that. They shot both. Isn't that weird? I had no idea about that. And I thought yeah, I knew I a lot either. about Ghostbusters. Jeez. Right. Yeah. So they Ghost shot, they started breakers? shooting it. And, yeah. Ghost Breakers. It's a shitty name. So That's they've got the Ghost dumbest Breakers. Dumbest thing ever, man. <laughs> Right. They've got Ghostbreakers. They've got Ghostbusters. And they all loved Ghostbusters, but they couldn't clear the name yet. They didn't know if they were going to have it cleared. So they did. They they shot both for a long time. They shot both. And even like the the scene where they're putting up the sign and, and Vankman's like, you know, are you sure that, that the sign's big enough? I mean, people aren't going to not see the sign, right? You know, he's being like sarcastic with him. They shot that twice with Ghostbusters, Ghost Fate, Ghost Breakers. But then oh. that scene where they pull up and all the crowd, they had like, I don't know, 300 extras or something out there in New York screaming, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghost. That was the moment that the, their production people, they were like, we're not doing this anymore. This is bullshit. We're not going to have everybody. You can't say freaking ghost breakers. Give me a freaking break. I'm sorry to use the word break after breakers, but that, that's (laughs) again, that's the dumbest name I've ever heard. It is. Come on. But it's not just, not just is it dumb, but like to shoot everything twice. That's a lot. You got to shoot everything from every angle one way. And then you got to go and do it again. You got to take every line and do it. again. It's a lot of work. And for people who aren't in the film industry, it's a lot of work to do it. I mean, just yeah. to get one shot is a lot of work. So he, one of the produ- the production people, they got on a phone on a, a pay phone downtown while they were all chanting. And they called, they called the head of the studio and they held up the phone and you could hear everybody in the background yelling, ghostbusters, ghostbusters. And he's like, that's the title. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, the guy was the like, people okay. have spoken. Come on. Right. So they were That's still one of the but... greatest comedies of all time. I don't care what right. anybody else says. I, I love that movie. It's the greatest oh, yeah. sci-fi comedies of all time. You cannot change the name. You right. just can't. Well, it gets resolved, though, which is cool because uh, they still hadn't paid for it. Right. Columbia and uh Coca-Cola had bought Columbia Pictures at that time. So Coca-Cola, right during, after it was greenlit, Coca-Cola bought it. And they tried to put the kibosh on it. But the 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 main, the head honcho at, at Columbia Pictures was like, no, no, Ghostbusters is going to be huge. You know, it's going to be a great movie. And I've already greenlit it. And I, I really feel like it's going to be amazing. So he put all of it, you know, he he was full steam ahead, but he did not get along with Coke. So he quit Columbia Pictures. But he quickly got picked up by, I don't remember who he got picked up by, Universal maybe or somebody. And their subsidiaries owned Funimation. (laughs) So he said, give him the title (laughs) because he wanted the movie to get made. So he went ahead and, and gave it over anyway. So, yeah. 
Oh, love that. I love that little yeah. end run deal there, man. I love stuff like that, man. And I, and, and that surprises me too is you know how fast these executives go in and out of all the studios. They hop back and forth right. doing all this stuff. I it blows my mind. You hear somebody's stories about some of these people switching hands about stuff and same stories. I love this project. I'm going to take it over to this new studio I'm going to and try to make it there and then something falls through and then some other way it gets made. It's 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 nonstop with that stuff you know every which is project, why i say every, it's a miracle project. it's always a miracle when a when a big movie actually gets made when any movie gets right. made yeah. because from script to distribution it's just like there's so much there's more that could go wrong than what could go right to make right. a movie with all the different people that have to to go through it all the all the money that goes into i mean people i think well, you know, when you're young and you're in school and you want to be an actor, you want to be a director, a producer, or whatever, you don't always realize that it's a business first and foremost, and that everything else, all the artistry, is really second to the business, and and that any artistry that does remain in it is only there if it serves the purpose of making money. So, if your artistry is is, and it doesn't matter about being good or not, it it doesn't. It's not because that's a that's you know. That, uh, subjective, you know, but it does matter. I mean, obviously, it has to be of a certain caliber to make money. But like schlock movies make money too, you know, booby yep. blood movies, you know, make money. Um, yep. But but if you have you, you have like stars attached, you have all these. I mean, and then everybody wants creativity, uh, their own creativity. So you have a script that's a great script, and you have a director, and he's a great director, or she's a great director, or they're a great director, and they come in. And they start working on the movie and they have a vision, but then your lead actor, who is really the box office draw because they're the one that the name that's carrying the movie and people are going to go see, like, let's say Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise comes in and he goes, no, 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 no. I, I love the script. I love it. But I want to do it with a limp, you know, and I want to set it in Morocco. And you're like, but this is, you know, this is a movie about a you know, a, a bicyclist who is in New York city. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know, but I want to do it in Morocco. And I, I want to do it. And not just a limp. I want to only have one leg. Well, how are you going to be a bicyclist? <laughs> it can be done. It can be done. But this is based on a real person's life. I know, I know. And I've talked to him and I paid him a lot of money and now it's, now it's this, and this is the real story now. And so it's right. like, yeah. By the time it gets to the to the end, it's like not only is what it set out to be completely changed, but so many things, so many people had their input, and things get people get you know money falls through, money gets on, it, it goes through, all you know, it's just, it's just a a never ending, revolving nightmare of all these things that could put it down. When you get into production, even how many movies get done and shelved happens all right. the time. I'm sure you've seen a ton of that stuff happen out there. Big movies too, well, not and- just like post-production hell where it never gets done the movies get done they're packaged they're ready to go major stars in it nothing happens lost movies i've I've heard several uh story you know alec baldwin's in the news recently because of that whole thing with that that movie he's on rust Mm -hmm. and um sandra bullock had a movie that was in the can and everything it sat on the shelf for two years or something like that before it before it got uh into theaters and everything but one uh, story that I can tell you, tell everyone and our listeners and everything, uh, is about Seth MacFarlane when he was making the Ted movies, and um, he w- he had you know had a great script and everything. He went into all these meetings, um, and they um, and they loved what he was doing. Ted came out and it was a big hit. It was the highest 
grossing rated R movie ever in the history of I think it was Universal. Oh, and okay. I was um, like in the history of film, really? But no, you, were, no, you said just his, Universal. Univer- highest rated <laughs> R rated R movie in the history mm-hmm. of of Universal. Okay. And so after that, he signed a 12 picture deal with Universal. All right. Seth signed that deal. And so they made Ted 2 and he was in these, you know, and I was still fr- I was still friends with him at the time. I, I used to, for those people I used to work on Family Guy as an orchestrator. I wasn't best friends with Seth, but I talked to him every once in a while. We chatted about things, and he was talking about – he was in a meeting about his future movies and doing 12 movies with Universal, and there was such a cacophony of conversation in some conference room meeting that he was in, and it got so bad, he, he just left the room and then, figured, and then got to his lawyers and said, hey, I want out of this 12-picture deal. And he was so annoyed with the what you're talking about, you know, getting into these meetings and people rewriting your things and taking over some of this stuff. He's like, it was just unbearable. And so, you know, now what he does is, of course, that Orville TV show where he's in complete control. No one else is is in is is pulling the strings on it, you know. So I, I hear what you're saying, and that's a true story. Seth told me that himself, and uh, it's it's you know, it it goes on all. I, of course, it goes on all the time. Everybody wants to put their put their hand in the pot and, and, and get in there and do stuff, you know, but they, and they shouldn't, most of them, they shouldn't. Oh no, especially producers. I mean, the suits, the suits don't have a creative bone in their body. All they're thinking about is money and like, well, we, we've seen uh, data that seems to support that people enjoy seeing frogs in movies. So we really like you to add some frogs into this and, and really needs to be a main part of the story, you know, something stupid like that. And you're like, Oh Yeah. There's even a pitch game. Have you? I don't know if you've ever seen. It. I can't remember what it's called. It's like the perfect pitch. We have it actually, and I played it with the kids, where it's all about Hollywood pitching, where you like you have these cards and it gives you like a a character and a plot, and you have to put them together and like then you have to pitch within thirty seconds. You have to pitch something with those two cards, but then anybody else in the group can throw down another like alt modifier for you, like. That's great, but we need this to be a vampire love story. And then you have to pit- change your pitch to that. <laughs> I think it's called Pitch Storm. I think that's what it's called, Pitch Storm. And we have oh, the man. main, the base game and then the horror, um, you know, like alternate version of it or an enhancement or whatever they call it. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. That's part. That's like perfect training. You want to be involved in Hollywood, be able to be able to play that game and win at that game. Oh, yeah. Be able to yeah. be able to just kill your ideas on the spot and kick them while they're down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you've been writing the script for years, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody throws something else in. Hey, we need uh, a desert. We need a desert scene in this one. Can we make some cactus or something like that? No, we're in the middle of New it's York in the City. Arctic. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a, it's a rom com thing. There's no desert in New York City. What the hell are you talking about? You know, it's, it makes no sense. So, yeah. Uh, Oy, but that's that's Hollywood. that's 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 the business. That's I'm, the I'm, business. I'm, I'm sort of part of it, but not really. And uh, you hear you hear these stories all the time. And you mentioned in Tom Cruise earlier. I give you a story about Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible series. Uh, it was the first Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible One. He was a producer on it. I don't know. I don't know that he was executive producer yet, but he was a producer on it, so he had a lot of control. And um, they first hired Alan Silvestri to write the music to Mission Impossible One. All right, he wrote the whole entire score. Okay. And then while they were in the recording studio, uh, they were recording like the last bit of part of the score, and someone called 
Tom Cruise and said, maybe the music's not working, all right? And they had a cell phone, and he said um, – and Tom Cruise told this person that were in the recording studio, hold the phone up to a speaker and let me hear the music. And so they played a little bit of the music holding a phone up to the speaker. Five to ten seconds of Alan Silvestri's score, one of the greatest A-list composers to this day, uh, uh, Back to the Future, uh, 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 Marvel, Endgame, uh, Infinity War, uh, uh, Captain America, A-list composer. Five to ten seconds of the Mission Impossible score that he wrote, Tom Cruise fired him. And he did not watch it to picture or anything, okay? He only listened to five to ten seconds of it over a cell phone in the theater, and he was fired. And then Danny Elfman was hired to score it. He wrote the music in two weeks, and then that became the score to Mission Impossible 1. I didn't know that Danny Elfman did Mission Impossible. Yeah, first one. Now, and to achieve that, he had this extremely good orchestrator who I took a course from. His name uh, Stephen Scott Smalley. And um, Danny Elfman, he was a hummer, meaning that he would take a tape recorder and just sing and hum stuff into a tape recorder and give that recording to an orchestrator and said, hey, write this for orchestra. Thanks for elaborating okay. on what a hummer is for our listeners. So that we didn't I'm sorry. I don't want to be confused about the hummer of the car or any <laughs> other alternative meaning of hummer. <laughs> I was thinking of the alternative meaning of a hummer. Of course. I was, I was, I was like, most people probably think that. I was like, I got to clear this up immediately. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so he's, he's, a sing, he's a singer. Okay. Let's say that. <laughs> he's singing. He's a fluffer. This. Wait. He's no, a fluffer. That's no, that's, that's still pretty bad. <laughs> He's singing all this stuff in a tape recorder, and then an orchestra, orchestrator listens to it and then you know, makes an orchestral score from this one melody. And that's how it was a, be able to be done in two weeks uh, because that's, that's, that's a crazy amount of time to score a, you know, two uh, – I don't know how yeah. long it is, an hour and a half, hour, 45-minute movie, full score. Two weeks. Yeah. 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 This guy was, you know, extremely knowledgeable, very good at doing all that stuff. But that, yeah, that's you – know, but then there's stories like that. You know, again, all the time, stuff like that's happening, and oh, just hits close to home being the music stuff and having a. And I, I like, I want to hear, I want to hear the music Alan Silvestri wrote for Mission Impossible One. I was like, can we even yeah. get that? Can we even find that? Does it still exist? Did I have it no get, idea. I mean, did it get recorded? Like, it got recorded. recorded. Oh, I'm got sure the, he's got the whole, it then. Yeah, the whole thing was done, you know, mm-hmm. and then. Like it was like one of the last recording sessions of the whole thing. You know, this whole thing went down right. with Tom Cruise and the cell phone. I was like, it's like, come on, are you kidding me? Yeah, so, that's ridiculous. That's, that's uh, just... Have you ever heard about um, you know how crazy Marlon Brando got later on in his? Oh yeah, well, and sending right. what's his name? What's her name to pick up the Oscar at the? Oh, that wasn't even that was like in the seventies or eighties when that happened. I you thought know, that was a nutty thing too. I was like, why would why would you do that? He was make any sense. Well, he was picketing the, yeah, he was on some about the native people getting, um, you know, how I, the U.S. has really screwed over the, you know, Native Americans, and um, it, it was something about that and about taking reservation land, I believe. And uh, he he had said if something happened politically, he wouldn't show up for his Oscar or something. I, I don't really remember. Um, when but, she got booed while she was on stage, she kept trying to say what he wanted her to say too. I remember right. that. Yeah. 
Right. I don't know. People, you know, I don't know. It was one of those, I think it was one of the very first times that somebody got really political too at a, at the Oscars. I mean, it's happened many times since, but, mm. but no, like later on in his life, he just got more eccentric and more disturbed. And, uh, you know, by the time he did, I, I don't know we were talking about documentaries on movies and stuff. And, and, you know, this kind of ties all of this together with how actors are crazy and the industry's crazy. Um, there's a documentary on the filmmaker who did, um, the remake of Island of Dr. Moreau. Have you seen that? Yes. Val Have you seen Kilmer, that documentary? Right? No, 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 I've... no. Val Kilmer is in it, but yeah, yeah, he's in it. He's not the filmmaker that made the movie though, but yes. But there's a, there's a documentary about Val Kilmer and he Called goes Val. into it. Yeah. And he goes into it quite a bit. That's all I know oh. what I've seen in Val Kilmer's oh. documentary, but I, I don't know what you're that. talking about. Well, I'd be interested to hear his side of things because in this documentary, they present Val Kilmer as a complete asshole because he was apparently on set a complete asshole. He didn't want to do it. He tried to get out of it, but he couldn't. And so he tried to make everybody's life a living hell. And apparently it was just very arrogant, but this is at the height of Val Kilmer's career too. So, and then they bring in Marlon Brando, who's like an insane person at this point and wearing a muumuu. And he decided that he wanted to have white makeup on his face, which wasn't part of it. And he took this ice bucket thing and put it on his head and put ice in it. And he just did all this weird stuff that was like never part of the movie and just completely like took over. And so, um, it, yeah, that was one of the many problems that happened with, with that movie. But his last movie that he did was, um, I think it's called The Score or yeah, Robert with Edward Norton. Ed Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. Yeah. That movie. In that movie, from what, <laughs> from what I've heard, he shows up and he tells the director that he'll do the movie, and uh, so he. But he comes on set and he's like, "Okay, I've got five scenes in this movie. You get two where I wear pants." <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and so the director's like, "Excuse me, like, what?" And he's like. I'm gonna wear pants in two scenes. That's it. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna wear pants in two scenes. And the rest of it, I'm not gonna wear pants. I don't like pants. I'm not gonna wear pants. And so the the director's like, oh, okay. So they had to rewrite one of his scenes to be in a freaking sauna, and then they rewrote yes. another scene to be in a car, and like all this stuff just to to to, you know, okay, okay, yes, 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 Mr. Brando, please, whatever, whatever insane dumbass thing you want, you know, and it's yeah. because these people, I mean, they get paid an astronomical amount of money, like the, the big stars, you know, it's like sports stars too. It's like our whole notion and uh, the way that our society treats celebrities is insane. I, I want to be a working actor. I want to get paid to do what I, I do and a director, you know, I don't care to make billions and billions of dollars. I don't need that, but you know, you make that much money and you lose touch of your fucking humanity. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you, you, you basically go insane. You, you cannot, it's like people like, like Trump or any of these rich people. It's just like, you make so much money. You feel like you're God. You can buy anything or anyone or any situation, you know, you, you start to lose. It's like a child that is never told no. You know, you become more than a spoiled brat because you're an adult and your world is yep. like people just they want a little bit of what you what you have. And oh, my God, it's crazy how it can change people. Even normal people can become. I don't believe that Marlon Brando in the beginning of his career was that insane. I mean, maybe he was. But I know other actors that have done the same thing that just become this like megalomaniac weird, or, or just like even if they're not like a megalomaniac, they become this weird version of themselves where it's like they're more like a cartoon of who they used to be, you know, yeah. 
as opposed like, to being uh, a real individual anymore? Like uh, Wesley, Wesley Snipes in uh, Blade 3, and he would only talk to anyone as Blade. And he was trying to – they were trying to finish Day the movie. Walker. and Yeah, yeah. And he's just like this insane guy. He's like, I'm Blade. You know, He kept telling people, I'm the director, I'm Blade. And Ryan Reynolds is, is in there, and he's like helping save the movie, like coming up with all this funny stuff. Ryan and Reynolds said, is the only good part of that movie, and he doesn't fit the movie at all, but he is the only watchable thing in that third movie. And and all that stuff is – yeah, oh, agree, agreed. And he's improv all this stuff in there. He's like – like this, none of that's in the script. He's just coming up with this off the cuff because he's Ryan Reynolds. He's that freaking funny. But Wesley Snipes wouldn't talk to anybody, wouldn't talk to the director. He says, I'll only talk to me as Blade. And then the director said – Okay, we've already shot everything we need to you. You can you can go home. We'll do the rest with a stuntman. And he's like, oh no 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 no. Okay, I need to be. You know, he kind of backtracked a little bit. Hey, I need to be in this. I'm the main star and everything. So I I, I hear you on that crazy crazy actor stuff. That that's crazy. And then I mean, going back to the get Marlo- that way too. You know, yeah. all levels of people can you know in the entertainment industry get that way because it's a celebrity thing. You know. Yeah. It's like what well, they become more go- than themselves. It's. You know, and even going back to that Marlon Brando movie, the score, I, I was like, okay, yeah, that's Marlon Brando. I was like, it's not that great a part. I was like, he's not doing something so groundbreaking. I'm like, oh my god, it's Marlon Brando doing this unbelievable part. It's like anybody could have played that part and maybe even done a better job than him. So I, 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 I yeah, I don't know. He's just trying to hang on to the last bit of his career, seemingly. Um, you know, and Wesley Snipes too. You know, so. Yeah, actually, Marlon Brando, at that point, people were just begging him to be in a movie because they wanted his name. It, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he has his own, I think he owned his own private island. Um, oh, really? And, and I don't know that he had money problems. I mean, maybe he did, but I think that he was just kind of, I'm a, I'm alive still, and people would reach out to him, and he'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll do your movie, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, there's some movies that even when he was younger, I'm like, why the hell did you go with Marlon Brando? Like uh, yeah. Sky Masterson in the original uh, Guys and Dolls movie. I'm sorry, oh. but he's he's luck be a lady tonight. You know, he's singing like that. He doesn't sound good. <laughs> he looks good. I mean, he's a handsome devil, but come on. I mean, he's just yeah. like the Godfather singing luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. <laughs> It's so stupid. And everybody's like, oh, he's so brilliant in that movie. And I'm like, bullshit, he's brilliant. He sounds like like the freaking Corleone singing Luck Be a Lady Tonight. It's so dumb. I I mean, that movie's fine. It's fine. But he's not good in it, I don't think. But he's good in other things. I mean, obviously, there's so many great movies and great performances of him. But, yeah, yeah, he's. uh, I've never been one of those people that's really, like, just enamored by Marlon Brando, though. Like, some people are just... But he was at that time, though, when, when the industry was changing into more of a realism, right? From being that very affected thing that went all the way up into the 50s and then right around the 50s it started to change in the 60s definitely Mm -hmm. to realism what we quote realism in movies because before we had that whole affected kind of no you mustn't go in there but i have to go in there no no you know that very oh my god it's a monster kind of thing and and even dramas were heightened and you know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, all that kind of right. stuff. And then we started getting more into gritty realism. And, and he was part of that wave of the, and method, mm-hmm. method, which I'm, I, you know, I'm not a method actor. Um, 
I do little well, tricks to get into character, but I'm not a person that has to, you know, be method. But I, I think to each their own. If if you need to do weird shit to get, in, but not like Jared Jared Leto. I mean, f- fuck that guy. I'm sorry. I'm well, not a Jared Leto fan. I don't think that he's that great of an actor. He's a he's a good actor. He's talented, but he's also a complete prick. And and all the stuff he no. does in movies and stuff that I've heard, like when he was a Joker and stuff, it's like, come on, that is just unprofessional bullshit that puts other people at risk and makes other people not be able to do their job effectively. It's just yeah. garbage. It's well, garbage. And he was sending Margot Robbie like oh, dead animals or something crazy. Used condoms, dead animal carcasses. He did all sorts yeah. of stuff. like Not just her. Sending it to other people in the cast. Other and doing, people. Not being professional, not showing up at times, showing up at weird times, doing all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's all sorts of horror stories about what that guy does. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know? yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. But one more thing that made me think of Marlon Brando was um, the first Superman movie where he was Jor-El. Yes. And he would not do it unless he got paid, like, I think over a million dollars at that time, for like 1979, right. over a million dollars. And what did he have? You know, uh, uh, you know, just very few lines. But yeah. man, you see him in that role. And you believe he is Superman's father. I, you know, okay. I still he deserved, it. I, I still believe he, it. He deserved that money for that role. And he put up a whole big stink about doing it and not getting paid enough. I was like, oh, pay him, pay the man what he wants. Or you wouldn't have known it not having seen the result. Right. Mm-hmm. You, like if you had, if he hadn't, if he hadn't paid that much, you wouldn't have got the result you got. But, you know, you can't see it any other way now because it was so awesome and just such a tiny, tiny little role, but such a key thing in the whole lexicon of Superman. It's like, that's Jorel. I don't care what Russell Crowe did in Man of Steel. Doesn't even compare to what Marlon Brando did in this short amount of time in Superman 1. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big Superman fan, but I do have to agree. I mean, not the movie. The movie's fine. The the movie's fine. I just I, the character's boring as shit to me. But um, oh, okay. but yeah, like he's just too good. He's just like that all that yeah. all all American boy kind of thing. is just boring as hell. Give me Batman any day, but sure. not every. Yeah, Batman I'll love day. Batman, but not all every right. Batman. But yes, the, no, I agree with you. His performance is quite good. I don't know if it's a million dollars good. Um, I don't know. I don't for, know. For like but... four lines or however many. You know, like four yeah, minutes of screen time. I don't know. But he's Marlon Brando. And at that point, it's like, whoa, we got Marlon Brando to play this part? Yeah, okay. I mean, the movie was a huge budget movie. And it wound up being a huge success and had, like, what, three other sequels after that with the same cast and crew. And, yeah, I mean, and, was that Richard and, Donner? Did Donner do that movie? Yeah, Richard yeah. Donner did that. And, and it really, in my opinion, started the whole live action truly live action superhero franchise i mean everything kind of spawned from that okay yes batman came out a few years later with michael keaton and, and what and, and and all the marvel movies now but without superman christopher reeve superman richard donner you know and that whole thing i don't i don't think marvel would exist you know the dc movies or maybe I don't, I don't think those kind of movies would exist without superman in my opinion yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I could, but... I could see that. I mean, definitely not in the incarnation that they are, you know, for sure. Yeah. Because you know, you have those waves of it. It's you had the Batman '60s TV show that came out before, um, before Superman, and but it was cheesy and campy and goofy and cartoony, you know. And but it was fun. It was but, but the comic books back then were like that too. The comic books started getting gritty in the '80s or the, maybe the '70s with Batman, but the '80s started getting grittier. And I think. I think that, yeah, definitely the Superman did that, advanced it. Then we get Batman 89 that definitely, I mean, Batman 89 changed superhero movies to being dark 
and because nobody really died in Superman. It was still comic booky, even though it was a big yeah. movie deal. It was still comic booky. But then we get Batman and Batman Returns, and then Schumacher just shit the bed on his last two that he did. And God, yeah. oh, it's <laughs> awful. But so then we have those movies, and um, and then yeah, then we wait a long time again, and then we have the X Men movies come out. You know, and without the right. the X Men movies, and we won't talk about Brett Ratner's third X Men movie, which was a travesty. Oh. Um, and he's just a travesty of a human being anyway. But uh, but you get those movies and then and then we wait a little bit more and then, you know, they take a gamble with uh, uh, Iron Man and Iron Man was a great movie, a great movie. Yeah. And that really started the ball rolling. I don't think they knew what they had when they did Iron Man. I know that they wanted cool. to do more, but it's like if Iron Man failed and Iron Man wasn't a character that had the level of Superman and Batman, like he wasn't up there right. with them. I mean, as far as, you know. Well, and apparently they didn't even really have a script written out. They were just kind of winging it as they went along. And, you know, Robert Downey Jr., very good improviser as well. Just kind they didn't of have a improvising. Script? Uh, like a formally written script. They were just kind of had a maybe an outline or something, but nothing really solidified. And then they just kind of, while they're shooting, oh, let's do this. Maybe we should change it to this. I, I remember hearing something along those lines that it wasn't really everything wasn't written out when they first started shooting that movie. They didn't really know. Oh, wow. And then when Robert Downey Jr. got done with it, he thought, oh, this is, this is going to tank. This is going to be a failure. You know, he thought it was going to fail when they were done shooting it. So no, he had you two, never know. He had like two franchises pop right at the same time with that and Sherlock Holmes. Sure, they were like one-two punch for him. <laughs> I mean, he was, yeah, yeah. And the comeback kid, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is, yeah. and I think he's a brilliant actor. I really do. Me too. I, yeah, I love yeah. Robert and he, I think he deserves every every dollar he gets. I think he got eighty million or something for Infinity Wars. You know, that's so crazy. And whoever knows what whatever he got for Endgame, I'm sure it was even more. So it's like, I mean, but man, it's just crazy to me. I, I that people make that much money. I mean, I'll never see that much money in my life. You know, I know, never yeah. see that much money in my life, and yet yep. we've got people that are, you know, using their imagination for fun. And getting it. And I mean, that's what we do. And it's a great, it's a great industry. It's very fun. It's, it's, I love being in the, in the industry. It's fun. And it's a lot of hard work, but I mean, it's no more hard work than, you know, being a plumber every day. It's no more hard work than that. It's no more hard work than being, you know, a sales rep or something like that and never being off the clock and working long days or through the night as a statistician. It's not, but our level of just glorifying celebrities, I, I, just baffles me that people make that much money and you know cool that people do it's fine but just think with that money if it wasn't pouring into those you know if everything was a little bit more back i'm not going to get into all this but like there's there's a lot of people that need help out there you know and it's like to and i'm talking sports too i'm not just talking all entertainment you know all entertainment uh, you know and even even other roles it's just like if we if we got paid you know i don't know a little bit more what we need and not just what we want. It's after a certain point, it's just like, Ooh, I have all this money. What am I going to do with it? Mm, squirrel it away, you know, put it in right. a Scrooge yeah. McDuck tower and, and yeah. swim through it. You know, what are you yeah. going to do with that much money like, on one movie? $80 million. He's set for life. He doesn't have to do shit. I mean, right. he doesn't have to, I granted his house probably cost him a, a pretty penny or all 12 of them across the world or however many has, you know, but <laughs> You know, I don't want to take anything from anybody else either. I'm not like, oh, take it, give it, give it away. But it's just like something seems a little broken when we have <laughs> that yeah. level I, I of disparity in in uh, yeah. in pay ranges. I think. Yeah, I mean that's just yeah. me. I, I don't know. 
I, I, I agree. I agree totally. I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, but if he wasn't in it, I don't think those movies would be nearly as, as successful. One guy, oh, God, no, you know, one no, guy being right. in all those movies, the whole Marvel right. franchise, and that's the piece you know. of it, right? Those movies make a ton of money because movies do make a lot of big movies like that. They make a lot of money. They cost a lot of money, but they make a lot of money. And so the people whose backs those movies are banked on. In, in the sense of audiences, who are audiences going to see? Well, they're going to see special effects. They're going to see characters they grew up with, but they're going to see the actors play these parts. And so when you get names that are big names or names that become big names because of these movies, you know, we, we do want to we want to see those people play those parts. And yeah. Robert Downey Jr. definitely is the backbone of that entire Marvel universe, you know? Yeah. Uh, or was well, you know, <laughs> and, and I um, I was a huge fan of it. I wanted I wanted to be involved with it, involved with it in any way. I was lucky enough to be an orchestrator on Guardians of the Galaxy two, oh, um, yeah. and so and good. I still want to do something with it one way or another. But I remember going to see Endgame, and it was a two thirty a.m. showing because I really wanted to see it. Yeah, and I, yes, and, jeez, yeah, and you know the day of it was like two thirty a.m. to go see it. I was like, who's going to be there? entire theater was packed you know i was following all the way along and i had rescored one of the trailers i loved it so much i was able to rescore one of the trailers i was like maybe somebody will see it then i can be involved in it somehow blah 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 pipe dream whatever um but anyway just really wanted to see the movie and then you know i think what you're saying people's attachment to that character i was there next to these two wonderful people who were you know, joyously chatting through the whole movie and annoying me the entire time. But by the end of it, annoying you. Yes. Yes. I, I, oh, they, they love, I, I really think that people just love annoying people in movie theaters when they just have to have their own little conversations and Mm -hmm. look at their phone. That's a whole nother podcast (laughs) complaining about bitching about movie goers these days, going to the movies. Yeah. But anyway, by the end of it, this girl, it was a couple, this woman and the, you know, this, of this two, bawling bawling when robert oh, yeah. Downey jr died three women behind me oh, I spoiler alert them. listeners spoiler alert oh sorry if you haven't seen any game <laughs> uh, like robert Downey jr dies at the end of it i'm sorry sorry to spoil that for you but i couldn't believe that like these women are just bawling just just out of their minds crying over this thing because they're so attached to that character and that guy playing that character um, so it's, it's, I, I hear what you're saying, but that, that's, mm, yeah, the money shouldn't be so extravagant, but it is. And then you see effects like that. I'm like, well, this has happened in all movie theaters across the world. You know, people are so attached to that thing. I'm sure some guys were crying too, you know? <laughs> so. right. I mean, there's worse things I guess we could put our money towards, you know, that, you know, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. It could buy a lot of cheeseburgers for homeless people, you know? Yeah. It could, yeah, it could buy a lot of homes. A lot of problem. Could. But a lot of homes for homeless people too. But, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're more I, I, interested in selfish pursuits, I guess. But um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not going away giving my money. I, if I get anything extra, I squirrel it away. I buy things that are that I want. So I mean, I, I'm sure if I was making a million dollars, I'd be doing the same thing. You know, yeah, in in yeah. different ways. And I know that a lot of people, especially, and I know Robert Downey Jr. does this too. They give a lot to charity. They do that. You know, but yeah. just to make that much money on one movie is just. It's crazy. It's crazy. Outrageous. But then again, he's doing yeah. other things. He's not just acting in the movie. He's also a producer on the movie. And so there's a lot of hats that 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 you know, a lot of control, a lot of decision making, all, all sorts of stuff. And so when you wear multiple hats, you should get paid for all the jobs that you do. And on a big movie like that, there's a lot of money going around to a lot of different people, you know. Yep. 
And I don't think, hopefully, you know, even craft services people aren't making just minimum wage on that thing. You know, there's, that's why there's unions involved in, in the entertainment industry, because unions do take care of us, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big union supporter. I, I'm, I'm in the acting unions, and I, you know, I very much support the unions. They, they, protect, they protect people. In the, but, yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's my two cents on unions. <laughs> well, so today we've talked about... Uh, being a husky child, uh, we've talked about growing old and uh, being a little wiser. We've talked about going to the movies and how our, our tastes change over the years. We've talked about superhero movies. We've talked about insane actors. I mean, we've run the gamut, but, um, you know, I I think that uh, when it boils down to it, it's, uh, you know, we were talking about growing old and going to the movies, you know, grow yeah. those, those two things and, and how our, how our, uh, our, yeah, I don't know, our perception on life changes as we get older and, um, and yeah. And, and the things that, you know, people that we thought once were cool, had all the answers, people that we thought, you know, like celebrities, you know, that, and, and how we thought movies get made or, or any of our art forms, anything that we consume is done. And then like, as you get older, you find out new information. And you're like, holy shit, I had no idea. I had no right. idea that guy was a complete asshole. I had no idea that this movie almost didn't get made because of this. I had no idea that, you know, Robert Downey Jr. makes $80 million a movie or something Crazy. like that, you know? I know. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to synthesize it all together to close out this bad boy because we've been chatting for a while. <laughs> but it is always great to talk to you, Brian. It is. And today's conversation definitely took like these crazy twists and turns. But I love that's it. the way it is. That's the way it is. I love it. I love talking about all this stuff. Any subject we can. I think we can make it work, whatever the subject, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's why we're doing I always all have this. A good time. We, we, we make yeah. it work. Yeah, so those of you out there that are listening, if you got some strong opinions on on uh, what you've heard today or you uh, just want to chat with us, hit us up. We're going to be creating a Discord uh, for the show, and, um, of course, we'll have our email um, available in the um, in the show notes. And uh, so hit us up and, and chat with us. We'd love to, to chat about some things that uh, maybe you are interested in, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got some fun ideas coming up for future shows, so we'll... Uh, We'll see you next time. We'll uh, we'll chat some more. And Brian, as always, good to talk to you, man. Good to talk to you. This is the greatest episode yet. <laughs> Onwards and upwards. 